I love the Gospel of John. Parts of it, anyway. With the earthy Jesus who makes fantastic 98-point wine to appease his mother and save the face of his friends. Who weeps at the death of a friend and of mortality's toll on our happiness. Who's touched by women and doesn't blame them for their emotion or their desire to be close, but welcomes their affection and returns it. But then there are other parts of John, like this one with its glorify me and I'll glorify you, sections that sound, well, otherworldly and distancing. There's this last line of the passage also that really bothered me when I read it. Um, so that they may be one as we are one. Well, I think. Even Jesus' prayers clearly aren't very effective. <laughs> then there's my immediate uh, context. I don't feel very Jesus-y these days. I don't feel very good about myself. My body's squishier in all the wrong places. I'm aging every day, and my self-view reminds me of all of these facts when I'm Zooming. Mostly, I'm grumpy. I feel critical of others. I'm also envious, jealous of other people's seeming better isolation conditions. My family and housemates irritate me a lot these days. When I hear myself speak, I don't like how negative and critical I sound. Reading the news is often overwhelming. Stories of lives and livelihoods devastated by this illness, by the loneliness, by the economics of pandemic. To sum up, I not only feel like my physical space is shrinking, I feel like my heart is shriveling and contracting amidst this virus. So there's me as an individual believer reading this today. It doesn't seem so good. But that's one context, but there's also the disciples. Um, when you read this, if you just read the section that we read, it'd be tempting to think that the disciples have done really well. Uh, Jesus says of them that they've been given to him, that they've seen the Father in him, uh, they've kept God's word. And I'm thinking, wasn't that about loving each other? Was that what Sonia was talking about? Really? Did they, did they really do that? And, and remarkably, in this passage, he also says, Jesus says, they have been glorified. He has been glorified in them. And I'm thinking, really? Because just before this passage, like literally just before the part we read, um, he talks about those so close to him uh, are, quote, you will be scattered, each to your own home, and you will leave me alone each to their own home, scattered. Hmm. These disciples are somehow also both. They are both people who believe, people who see, people who witness to who God is, and people who are scattered, alone, unable to connect to each other in their fear, in ways tragedy has disrupted their dreams, habits, and hopes. So maybe, after all, this passage has something for me, and I trust, for you. So here goes. If you do a study of this little section, there's lots of repetitions, uh, especially glory and glorify, um, and lots of words around giving and gave and uh, this seeming exchange of gifts. 
Um, and it's a way that I find the text sometimes hard to get into because I've never related to this language of glory. Uh, I've never really liked it. Um, it was one of the things that I struggled with when I got around a lot of Christians, um, uh, real Christians, right, evangelicals or whatever. Um, we're going to glorify God, the seemingly endless rounds of choruses about um, glorifying God. And then there were the people who knew Hebrew, right, who had this, uh, talked about this Shekinah glory. I have no idea what that was. Um, for whatever reason, I don't respond to this. I think that's probably not true for everybody, but... For me, it sounded empty. It, it reminds me of that Charlie Brown, for those of you who are old enough to remember this, the Charlie Brown, uh, what Charlie Brown would hear his teacher say, right? It sounded just like away from me. Um, this, the worst, the passage can initially read as if Jesus and the Father are like all about each other. Um, I will glorify you, you will glorify me. It sounds like the worst of middle class cliques, uh, middle, uh, middle school cliques, or middle class cliques, uh, or of romantic couples, right, who are so into each other that they shut other people out. Um, that other people are like mere standbys because they're just way too delighted about each other to let anybody else in. Um, it's also tempting to read it this way because there are people in positions of power uh, like a god, right, who um, perhaps would be little gods who seem obsessed with shining the light on themselves and how great they are. Um, and it might be tempting to think of God that way too. And truth be told, I think that this may be a little bit more like me in quarantine than I might want to admit. I'm pretty focused on me. Uh, or at my best, uh, my little space my closed circle. But when we listen a little more closely, that can't be the nature of glory here. Because Jesus keeps talking not only about how much he adores his father and how his father adores the son, he also opens up this mutual appreciation fest, opens it to welcome all who believe into this little community, into what Christians call Trinity. It helps me to do some things to comprehend this passage and connect to it. Um, it helps me to translate glory into something a little less religious sounding. So um, it's the word, of course, from which we get doxology or praise, so that might work. Um, but that's still pretty religious-y. Uh, but then I think, well, what's genuine praise? Like, when am I genuinely praising someone? And there's a kind of delightedness that I take in something outside myself, um, like a wonder and a beauty that, that takes me out of me into something else. Or, or sometimes at my best as a parent, right? When I'm praising my kid, I'm actually not about me at all. I'm just so taken up with what they've done. I'm, some of you watching kids walk for the first time or, or others of you who take great pride and pleasure in watching a friend's achievement. That's more like the kind of praise that seems to be meant here. When I praise God or adore God at my best, I'm, I'm pointing and wanting other people to enjoy it too. That's more like how Jesus and the Father glorify each other. They point to the wonder of the other, the beauty of the other. This one's so wonderful that he raises the dead. 
a son so faithful that he pursues what the father has lost. In a word, we're listening to a father and a son who are so confident in the power of their love for each other that that love naturally opens up to include other people. To us. To us who believe or, or who want to believe. Who come to church this morning with a smidgen of that kind of wanting, of that kind of faith. And it's into this sort of mutual wonder that Jesus welcomes us as disciples, even amidst quarantine. The oneness and the unity Jesus wants for us is this kind of security, a sureness that we're adored. To put it another way, it, it's not up to us to, con- to create the conditions of unity. Instead, we're invited into God's unity, into God's community, into the beauty that is God and God's delight in us. It turns out this is the way out of fear, out of my self-obsession and my smallness. It's to be taken up into God's life, into delight, into the beauty, into the kinds of things that we just sang about when we sing holy, 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 or we declare God's majesty. Okay, still pretty religious-y. So I thought, okay, what does that mean? in real time. And I remembered when I was in high school, um, when I was in high school, I switched high schools in the middle of my sophomore year. Now, uh, I, I was having a terrible, terrible experience at my first high school. Um, it was everything that if some of you know, sort of the reputation of Catholic girls schools, that's what my school was. It was like the worst of that. And um, it would close four years after I left. Um, and I was desperately lonely at this place. Um, and home was not especially helpful in that way. But I had this close friend, Shannon, um, and she carpooled from the valley, yes, I am a valley girl, <clears throat> uh, into the heart of Hollywood to a Catholic school there. Her mom, an alum, had pulled strings and gotten me switched in the middle of the year. Now, as you might imagine, this was not ideal to enter into a new space like this at this time of life. At 15 or 16, I was starting over. And yet this remarkable thing happened. I was taken up immediately into this circle of girls. Uh, There were like seven or eight of us who kind of all hung out together. And it just broke open and they made room for me with my quirks and my difference. Um, We were a pretty eclectic group. Um, Lillian attended Japanese school. Who even knew there was Japanese school? But Lillian attended Japanese school on Saturdays and was this devout evangelical Protestant who's now a missionary in Japan. Um, There was Jenny, who often shared stories about boys. Uh, (laughs) There was Jocelyn, who was Egyptian and was also this remarkable uh, actor. Um, There was Nancy, who lived in Bel Air and on occasion visited the Academy Awards because her father wrote, uh, was the arts critic for the LA Times. And then there was Rocky who lived not far from school in a pretty ramshackle, worn down, worn out, rough house. And I could go on, but I hadn't really reflected on this, but for some reason, this group of girls actually modeled the kind of oneness that I think is Trinity. There was this sort of mutual appreciation and easiness with one another, even in our difference, that created this space 
space for a girl to transfer in her sophomore year into this group of people. We gloried in one another and went to each other's plays, gloried in our successes, um, because we genuinely cared about each other and took that affection for granted. So they opened up that space to a kind of awkward, deeply lonely young woman um, who became their friend. The weird thing is that I can't remember feeling self-conscious. Past the first few days, I just didn't have that usual teenage and adult angst about other, how other people saw me. I became one of them, full stop. They just took me as I was and created this space where I belonged, which is really a remarkable feat for anyone. And these teenage girls are the ones who modeled it for me. So, what does this passage mean for you, for me? First, I want to encourage you to hear in this that even if you are as we are, as I am, scattered and in our own homes. Jesus claims you as his own. You are taken up into Jesus' life. He's got you. He's come for you, and he's not going to lose you to a virus. The disciples Jesus talks about here with such confidence had a lot of problems. Um, we got a lot of problems. And yet here he is, praying for them, holding them up to God, before a God who protects them. You don't have to convince God to care for you. We don't have to convince God to see us scattered and in our homes. God knows this, and God claims us anyhow. Second, we worship a God whose glory isn't something that diminishes us or that God needs us to do for him to be happy or complete. Instead, to glorify God is to be taken up into the confidence of the Trinity's mutual love fest so that I can relax, much like I did with those high school girls. I can be myself. I can even revel in the wonder that is God. I don't have to be so self-absorbed. Concretely for me, I don't know what this would mean for you, but for me this means a few things. Um, as some of you know, I've taken up this daily practice of uh, liturgy, and really, maybe that's just self-interested because it helps me get out of myself. I read the words of others, like the prayer of Jesus here, and I begin to see other possibilities. I begin to see something about God and the patience uh, even of, say, my kids with my grumpiness. I begin to see the world in a different way. Overall, we don't have to manufacture faith in this quarantine. We don't need to criticize ourselves for being small and self-absorbed. I invite you to join me instead, in, instead of worrying about how self-absorbed we are, to look at God, to look at the wonder that is God, and see if there's not a space, a way that God has created something else for you to look at, something else for us to consider. Remember that Jesus and the Creator sees all that is and all that you are, scattered, at home alone, and invites you to wonder, to be free, to be loved, and to be welcomed. And finally, of course, we're invited to imitate this triune God by opening up our lives. 
If we know we're enough and we know we're loved, I can afford to be a little bit more open-hearted for my hands again to seek to do things for others, even amidst this quarantine. Remember that Jesus says all of this stuff while facing death and tragedy. And we can remember the goodness of others, point to the grace of God, even amidst our own tragedy. So may the God who knows you encourage you today. May you hear the prayers of Jesus for you, scattered and in your own home. The reminder that God has claimed you. May you be able to lose yourself in a beautiful moment, in skunks and bears, in the surprising acts of little kids, or in our case, a, a falcon or a, a hawk that didn't fly away even though we were standing right next to it. See those as signs of God's beauty and wonder. And may that knowledge, the knowledge that God has you, however dimly comprehended or embraced, allow that to open up ways for you in your Zoom chat, in your prayers, in your walks through your neighborhood, to open up to others who need to see something of that kindness and of the trying God's care. And may the Spirit make it so, by grace.